This is Light On, Light Through, episode 26, The Four Fills. And wait a minute, is that a saxophone I hear playing in the distance? Reasons. Everybody wants reasons in this irrational society. Yes, I believe that was a saxophone. And I think I also heard the distinctive voice of Mark Shanahan. And those of you who are familiar with the chronology protection case will recognize the saxophone and the voice as the radio play production of the chronology protection case, the one which was done at the Museum of Television and Radio in September 2002. Now, the reason why I played that is we're going to have as a guest on Light on Light Through none other than Mark Shanahan. In today's episode, we'll talk about the chronology protection case, how Mark came to write the radio play based on my short story. You'll also hear Mark talk a little bit about Alfred Hitchcock because he's currently, he, Mark that is, is currently down in Texas performing in a great new play called Hitchcock Blonde. But that part of the interview about Alfred Hitchcock we'll save for another time sometime in the next few weeks. But coming up now is my interview with Mark Shanahan, one of the four Phil D'Amato's. That's, by the way, why I titled this episode The Four Phil's. So you'll hear in this episode who the other three Phil D'Amato's are, and for that matter, who Phil D'Amato is. By the way, stay tuned for the end of the interview. It's about 11 minutes. We have a couple of important flashes in this episode of Light On, Light Through, including an update on the situation of Josh Wolf, the journalist whom I talked about last week, who is still in prison in California for simply videotaping a part of a demonstration in which some violence took place someplace else in the demonstration. But now, here's my interview with Mark Shanahan. Let's uh, let's talk about the chronology protection case, and uh, you, you know our our listeners actually are, many of them are well aware of it because, and again I'll put uh, the particular links up on on the show notes for this. But uh, you know about two months ago I I put up the live recording of the museum and television and radio performance of the chronology protection right. case up on this website, and I, it has about a thousand no, uh, wow. downloads already. So yeah, so people really love it. Why, why don't you talk a little bit about how you came to, to write this radio play and what you hope to sure, do? Sure, well, um, your listeners might also uh, know, I don't know if you've mentioned it before, but the I've also done uh, narrated uh, a bunch of Paul's um, audio books as well, including The Plot to Save Socrates, his uh, latest, and also um, The Consciousness Plague, which was a Phil D'Amato story. And uh, it had come to me in, uh, that the short story in which Phil D'Amato appears, the chronology protection case, is such a damn good story and uh, needed to be dramatized. But uh, I know that Jay Kensinger had made a, a short film of it, and after seeing that, I I stole a, a brief idea there saying, well, he, he's on to something. It's true. It should, there's a lot of merit to this story. And I really have been in, enticed by your fiction because usually your fiction is about characters who find something else out that nobody else knows. And then what do you do with that knowledge? And I think there's no better example of that than in the short story you wrote, The Chronology Protection Case. In trying to then adapt it as a radio play, what I wanted to do was to sort of harken back to the old-time golden age of radio drama, 
um, and even the sort of hard-boiled detective shows like Sam Spade with Howard Duff, and yeah, have a little bit of a voiceover to little tip of, a little tip of the hat to those film noirish kind of detectives, but also to take it in a new direction, in a more modern direction, and use an old medium for some pretty exciting modern ideas. And um, when we got that first cast together at the Museum of Television and Radio, that was a great evening with a live audience. Then I re-recorded it um, with some other actors in a studio um, and came up with a, another version of it, which I think is available on iTunes or something. And in creating, in crafting it, I really sort of had to sit down and, and figure out exactly what was at the heart of your story and who Phil D'Amato was and the fact that it's also briefly a little love story in, in and of itself. And um, and I really love it because people have taken to uh, people have taken to that story in a, in a medium which doesn't really get any play anymore. Sure, they have radio drama in in uh, London on the BBC still, but uh, for all sorts of reasons, not the least of which are actors' unions and distribution of media in today's day and age, we don't have uh, much in the way of radio drama. So it was kind of a thrill to uh, take the old and something with the new and cobble together. Um, a, a brand new product in some way. Yeah, and there's, there really is something uh, about sound only. And, uh, you know, McLuhan was really the first person I came across, Marshall McLuhan, who talked about that and understood this. Uh, he called it acoustic space, which is sort of a nice, you know, it almost seems like a contradiction. How can you have acoustic space? You think a space is visual. But what McLuhan was getting at is, in part, just the literal fact, and everyone who's listening to this podcast right now is experiencing it, the, the, the way that we perceive sound is it vibrates uh, against our eardrums and so it's literally causing a physiological change in our heads in contrast to light which is a much subtler thing you know the the optical nerve is excited but it doesn't vibrate in the sense that our eardrums vibrate so i i think that there is this sort of almost intimacy uh, about sound and uh, i mean for me as an author I, every time i hear you, you know you do the chronology protection case you know, reasons <laughs> we don't need reasons I mean, the 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 words are you know just in a totally different dimension from what i had on the uh, what's on the nice page. about this conversation I, too is that um if we're talking about hitchcock he was such a visual um artist and he had claimed you know that film uh, things should be shown, and uh, he doesn't want photographs of people talking. You know, no my dinner with Andre for him. And in the case of radio drama, uh, it's the other side of the equation there, which is if you take away visuals entirely, and it exists in time and in performance, you have to experience the performance of something as just um, the acoustics of it, orally, au orally. Then you do have a, a, a sort of almost private-like experience where someone is whispering in your ear. And, of course, you know, McLuhan talks about hot and cold media, but most people, when they talk about radio drama in the golden age, realize that uh, they sort of, you know, romanticize it and say, well, um, it exists in your mind's eye. You can imagine things that a big-budget Hollywood movie still, you know, could never come up with. And there is something to that, I think, particularly in working on your short story and adapting it and performing it. I realized that I loved the idea of the spoken word and imparting all that information and relationship and urgency, as well as your sort of uh, fun and sophisticated and sometimes kooky science fiction ideas, which you can cobble together. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, you know this, but I don't know if my, my listeners do, but one of my favorite things about Phil D'Amato is when my daughter Molly, who's n- now, my God, I mean, she's you know going to be 
It's impossible. But anyhow, she was a you know a little girl when she uh, when I first wrote the Silk Code. It was published back in 1999, and actually I had left it on the table, the manuscript on the table, because Tina, my wife, mm-hmm. was reading it, and actually Simon, my son, and Molly, you know, a very voracious reader, picked it up and and read it. And there were actually a couple of scenes in there which I was a little uh, embarrassed <laughs> that she read, although nothing really terrible. But when she finished reading it, she said, Daddy, I love this. I said, oh, thank you, sweetie. And then she said, you know, Daddy, Phil D'Amato is just like you. It's you. And so, you know, anytime someone says, well, they like Phil's sense of humor, you know, they, they like this, the quirkiness. I mean, you know, it, it is basically all me. And, and, you know, being a writer, it's just... In effect, it's an alter ego expression. I should, by the way, mention to our listeners, and some of you out there know this already, that there are now, actually, by my count, a total of four Phil D'Amato's. And here's what I mean by that. I was the first Phil D'Amato. I wrote the stories. Jay Kensinger, whom Mark mentioned, did the very low-budget it's about, I don't know, about 34-minute, yes, uh, a film of a of the chronology protection case. And by the way, there's a, now a trailer for that, which you can see on lightonlightthrough.com or paullevinson.blogspot.com. And again, I'll put more explicit notes in the show notes about this. So Jay Kanziger is the second Phil D'Amato. The third Phil D'Amato is our incredibly uh, eminent and erudite uh, <laughs> guest on this show, Mark Shanahan. And as he said, he basically... He's been Phil D'Amato in at least two major ways. First, because of the chronology protection case, which he recorded two different radio play versions of. And secondly, because he he did the complete reading, wonderful reading of The Consciousness Plague, which is my second Phil D'Amato novel. But recently, there's our fourth Phil D'Amato, and his name is Sean Farrell, and it's interesting. Jay is, lives in California. Sean lives in California. Mark and I are irredeemable throw New Yorkers. So, yeah, through and through. So, uh, and and Sean has done a patio book of the Silk Code. So, uh, which is my first Phil DeMaio well, novel. Well, I'd like to point out that that makes you Arthur Conan Doyle, right? Uh, he creates Sherlock Holmes, but there's still room for Basil Rathbone and Jeremy Brett and even uh, Peter Cushing somewhere in there. And who knows who the next one is. <laughs> These good, good characters and good stories should always be told and retold as often as possible, unless you're Gus Van Sant remaking Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's you know, he did a terrible job. Well, you have to right. I mean, you can't mess. Well, with Well, I could sit down and retype your entire novel of the plot to save Socrates, and that didn't mean that I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> But listen, I'm going to say something which, you know, you know, I've said this to you, uh, you know, privately, but I want the world to hear it. I want Mark to go make a Phil D'Amato movie. I mean, actually, a movie, The Plot to Save Socrates, too, but as long as we're talking about Phil D'Amato, the same Mark Shanahan who gave this brilliant performance up in the Newman's Theater in Stanford, Connecticut, Journeys. And by the way, I saw there's a British, yeah, Westport, British, uh, I think a British version opened on right, Broadway yeah. not that long ago. And I, I drove by it and I regretted the fact that I didn't see your <laughs> name on the marquee. Because That's okay. It, 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 you were I've played that. it at a bunch yeah. of theaters now. Yeah. I'm on to the next. Yeah, and, and here you are now down in Texas right. doing Hitchcock. So, and I know you also, by the way, have a, a screenplay. That's that, true. Uh, I co-wrote with uh, my friend John Hamburg uh, um, a script called The Troubleshooter, which is an Hitchcockian like Man on the Run comedy, and we sold it to uh, Universal Studios just uh, recently, and it's in development there. So, if I get my uh, get get things rolling, maybe uh, a film of movies in the works. Who knows? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, and the way I'm looking at it, you know, someday in the not that distant future, we'll we'll be at the Academy <laughs> Awards, and uh, and the movie will win, and you know, you'll go up there, and I'll like come hobbling up in my cane. Listen, just get the touch, get the tuxedo <laughs> press, Paul. Well, thanks. Well, remember, we went, you know, Mark and I and Jay did go to the Mystery Rise of America. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> award ceremony, right? And I had a tuxedo. I, I mean, uh, when the Chronology Protection yeah, case I'm, was nominated, the radio play for the the um, the Edgar Award. We all went, and it's the only picture I think I have of you and me in a tuxedo, and it probably will be the only one. <laughs> Better in absolutely. Well, I just want to. Well, you know, I. I I just want to say one thing. I, I don't know what this means, but I developed a rash on my leg. From that oh, that tuxedo. falls under too much information. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to tell your, your listeners, though, if they want to find out more about Hitchcock Blonde, you can go to alleytheater.org. That's theater with a T-R-E. And um, you can also find all sorts of background information, including pictures and uh, uh, a video trailer from the play, as well as an article I wrote for Playbill that's online as well. Excellent, and I, know I will include all this information in our Terrific. show notes as well, so uh, people will be able to see it. Listen, it was a thanks, pleasure Paul. talking to you. Thanks, Paul. See you when I get back to New York, and, and thanks for having me on your right, show. Right you. on, right through. All right. Okay. My pleasure. Reasons. Everybody wants reasons in this irrational society. The Light on Light Through podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no ease dot com. Hey, if you want to make an impact online, check out GoDaddy.com. It has .com names for as low as $1.99. Plus, they have world-class hosting, fast and easy, website builders, and much more. And if you mention the special code POD4, that's POD4, you'll get 10% off your web hosting. Or BLU4, that's Blue4, gives you 10% off everything else you may buy at GoDaddy.com. And this brings us to the flashes section of Light On, Light Through. And first, a serious flash, an update about Josh Wolf. I covered his story in the last episode of Light On, Light Through. As of now, he spent more than 200 days in prison for videotaping a demonstration that turned violent in San Francisco. What an outrage. Not that the demonstration turned violent, these things happen, but that a bona fide, hard-working video blogger journalist has been sent to prison for refusing to turn over his videotapes of that demonstration. And one thing I didn't make completely clear in my last episode of Light On, Light Through, but I've looked further into this case, is that Josh Wolf was nowhere near where the police officer was hit in the head with a pipe. So Josh Wolf's videotapes can provide no useful evidence whatsoever about the commission of that crime. So why is he in prison? Why indeed? There are a lot of people working to free him. I want to mention one right now. His name is Howard Vicini. He's the Bay Media Lab host of a television show. And yesterday, Friday, he devoted a special show to Josh Wolf's case called Freedom of Expression, New Challenges, New 
sacrifice. And uh, on the lightonlightthrough.com webpage, in the show notes for this episode, I'll give you links to get to that page. So if you're at all concerned about this as I am, please look into it further yourself. See what you can do. Write to your congressman, your senator, to stop this imprisonment. Josh Wolf is not a criminal. He's a journalist, and he should not be in prison. And over on paullevinson.net, earlier this week, I published a blog post which has a modest proposal that I wanted to share with all of you. It's a proposal uh, attuned to our political season. And, of course, we're moving into a year in which political candidates will be declaring that they're running uh, for the nomination for president. And one thing that occurred to me, we always tend as Americans to want to support one person. I guess that's understandable. But one candidate in one party, and we completely ignore the other party. Or even worse, say if we want a a Democratic candidate to win, we hope the Republicans nominate the worst possible alternative. Or if we're a Republican and we want a Republican candidate to win, we hope the Democrats nominate the worst possible choice. Well, I have what I think is a better idea. I want to share it with you. It's simply this. Why don't we work to have the best candidates nominated in each of the parties, in each of the major parties? So who's your favorite Republican candidate? Who's your favorite Democratic candidate? If you go over to paullevinson.net, you'll find out who mine are. And I hope you think about this as well and perhaps change the way you look at political campaigns. And last flash for today, I don't know if you saw, but the Oxford English Dictionary, the OED, has deigned to accept the word wiki, W-I-K-I, as in Wikipedia, as an acceptable word to appear in the Oxford English Dictionary. You know, I'm thinking maybe what we need is a wiki Oxford English Dictionary. Now, I know that Wikipedia already has what it calls the Wiktionary, and that's good. But what I'm talking about is something even a little more ambitious. Just as Wikipedia is increasingly competing with the Encyclopedia Britannica, I would like to see a wiki Oxford English Dictionary, or whatever it's called, and maybe it could be the Wiktionary now on Wikipedia, but promoted more so the public's aware of it, so it too can compete with the Oxford English Dictionary. Why do we have to depend on a bunch of stuffed shirts or whatever it is they're wearing over there in Oxford or wherever they are to decide what acceptable language is for us to use? Why not let the people decide that? So you can read a blog post that I just put up a few hours ago, also on paullevinson.net. And this brings us to the promo suite segment of Light On, Light Through. And first, I want to again thank my good friend, Mark Shanahan. You'll hear Mark 
again on Light On, Light Through in a couple of weeks with a second part of our interview in which Mark tells you his views of Alfred Hitchcock, one of his and one of my favorite filmmakers. And Mark right now is down in Texas starring in the new play Hitchcock Blonde. And over on LightOnLightThrough.com, you'll see links. So if you're down in the Texas area, I strongly urge you to go down and see Mark in this play. He's a great actor. And you're also here in our promo suite. First and foremost, once again, strap those headphones on, the one and only Mike Thinks. And he has a great show. Uh, I just uh, listened to it, as a matter of fact, right before I did this episode of Light On, Light Through. Among the other things you'll hear Mike talking about is the continuing battle between Google and YouTube on the one hand, and Viacom the Dinosaur on the other hand. Now, Mike has a slightly different view of this than I do, although we do agree on some points. Do yourself a favor. Go over and listen to the savviest podcast in town, the MikeThinks.com show. Try it. I'm sure you'll love it. You'll also hear in our promo suite, Sean Farrell. And Sean, of course, is the fourth Phil D'Amato. You heard Mark Shanahan and I talking about this just a few minutes ago. And you can hear the promo for the patio book of my novel, The Silk Code, that Sean Farrell is now doing. And if you're interested in listening to the whole patio book, again, go to lightonlightthrough.com. You'll find a link to it. And you'll also hear a few other great promos as well. So, listen, it was great talking to you as always. I'll see you next week. In the meantime, sit back, relax, enjoy. the Mike Thinks Podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks Podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. From patiobooks.com. The day started just like any other day. Always does. Until I watched one of my closest friends die, right in my arms. Nothing I could do. But his death was a beginning, not an end. And now I've been thrust into a timeless conflict of pyromaniac insects and instant mummification. A war within our very genetic makeup. And when the powers of the ancient world collide with modern technology, no one is safe. Not me. And certainly not you. I'm Dr. Phil D'Amato, NYPD Forensics, and the only way to save myself is to solve the mystery of the Silk Code. The Locus Award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel, Journey into the Ancient World, Witness the wonder of ages past. 
and join Phil D'Amato in the struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com. Join the battle, witness the wonder, or forever be victim to the awe and power of the Silk Code. Phil D'Amato is ready. Are you? Did you walk out of the Matrix and wonder if you're a battery in a jar? Did you walk out of Daredevil and wonder, what is it like to be a bat? Do you and your friends stay up at night debating good and evil in the Star Wars universe? Does the question of life, the universe, and everything intrigue you? Then open your mind and tune into The Sci-Fi Show, thescifishow.com. And that's five with a PH. Do you remember what he looked like? Hey, this is Jake. I do a show called Just Not Right, the podcast. You can find it at notrightpodcast.com. It's funny, fresh, entertaining. I mean, sometimes I'll just take the mic and say, Hey, oh my, you look nice. You are wonderful. Thank you for listening. You are the best. Check it out. There's a segment called Letters from a Utah Nut. It's hilarious. I know you'll love it. I'm writing this letter in regards to your giant D sign located in front of your store. I want to climb it. Please do not climb the sign. Would it be all right if everyone from our company just started singing? Although we enjoy our customers' enthusiasm for our product, it is strange and unusual for large parties to join in chorus in our lobby. Is it okay for me to be using Windex as a cologne? All S.C. Johnson products are extensively evaluated for toxicity and safety. <laughs> Hilarious! Do you remember what he NotRightPodcast.com See you there. Punk Horror Podcast, coming to you every other week from Punk Horror Press. Featuring The Punk and the Pastor, a movie review show featuring David Giannis and Stacey Campbell, and author Red Fiction, featuring the best in horror and punk fiction. Don't miss it. Subscribe now at www.punkhorror.com. In a world full of hopelessness and despair, only two guys had the power to deliver the world from certain destruction. Nathan and Carlos are Podcast Pendulum. Watch it all unfold at podcastpendulum.podomatic.com.